the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Timothy. The elders laid their hands on you when they basically ordained you and commissioned you into ministry. And then he finishes this chapter by saying, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly, not half-hearted, wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do you walk the walk and talk the talk? In today's message from Pastor Gary, he explains to you the importance of living out your faith. People are not as concerned about what you say, but they care about how you live. There's a big difference between speaking out about your faith and actually living it. Pastor Gary encourages you to live full-heartedly your life for Jesus, because not only will you be saved, but you might help to save others as well. Let others see Jesus through your example. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. People with a seared conscience, people who have no conscience, psychologists call them sociopaths. Those are the ones who commit horrible crimes because they have no moral compass about right and wrong. And, and so they just do things without any regard to right or wrong. They have no, no conscience. They have no moral compass. And uh, Paul says here, this is, this is the worst thing, worst place to be, to have, have a conscience so seared, so, so seared as with a hot iron that you're numb, that you're desensitized to right or wrong. So, you know, the idea of, you know, when, when, um, Cattle get branded, you know, like, like seared. Uh, whatever gets seared ends up having, it's, it's numb. Um, you know, any of you who work hard with your hands and you get calluses on your hands, you know, those are numb now. You have no feeling. It's, it's desensitized. The back of my throat is completely seared. I, I had my tonsils out twice. This was back in the day when they used to take tonsils out. Now they leave them in. They're like, ah, oh, no big deal. But back in my day, growing up around the Civil War, they took out your con- they took out your tonsils, and I was so young they took them out again because they grew back. If you, I don't know if you know that your tonsils could actually grow back. So I had my tonsils out twice. I had adenoids out twice. I had tubes in my ears. My whole head was messed up. But it got to the place where after after two times of my tonsils out, my ear, nose, and throat doctor said, "We're just going to take care of this. We're going to cauterize the back of your throat." 
And so he literally, I mean, he was a German doctor. He had no bedside manner. Let me just tell you something. He's just like, open your mouth. We'll take care of this. <laughs> and he just cauterized the back of my throat using like chemicals. Like it's totally serious. I could swallow glass now. I don't taste a thing. I exaggerate, but uh, nevertheless, cauterizing or searing, you know, get the image in, in, your, in your mind. It's, the, it's a picture of being completely desensitized. And Paul says this is the worst place to be with your conscience, is, is having it seared. Now, he's talking here about hypocritical liars. There are some false teachers who are going around and who are inciting people to abandon the faith and follow these deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And so he's going to talk about these these misguided people here, these hypocritical liars, uh, in, in the following verses. Verse, verse 3, he says, They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. He says, For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. All right, so apparently there's some people going around the early church here, and Paul was warning Timothy about this, who were basically over-spiritualizing things. And they were saying it's more spiritual, for example, what's inferred here that they were teaching was it's more spiritual that you don't marry. Because Paul says here they're going around forbidding people to marry, so the inference is that they were suggesting it's more spiritual if you're celibate. you're, You're more spiritual if you're celibate, and you're more spiritual if you're vegan, Right? Cause he, cause they're saying like, don't, don't eat certain food, foods. And so, you know, and, and so they're making this distinction here. And unfortunately, some people can do this even today. You know, they, you, you can have certain convictions about things that are non-salvation issues. And, and it becomes a standard for you, which is fine. But the problem becomes when you make it a standard for other people. And if it's not a, you know, if it's not a biblical thing, it's just a personal conscience thing. And it's not a salvation thing. It's just a personal conviction. And so you want to live by certain standards. You know, I know, I know certain people like, okay, we're going to have no TV in our home. Okay, that's fine. You know, we're going to be eating totally vegan. Okay, whatever. That's fine. And, you know, and we're never going to go to movies. Okay, that's your conviction. But the problem becomes when you think everybody else should be just like that. And because you think you're more spiritual and, and that if other people do those things that you're convicted about, they're less spiritual than you. And this is part of what he's addressing here. He says there's hypocrisy in this. You can't go around, you know, pointing fingers saying you're more spiritual. I forbid you to marry. That's wrong. It's more you should be like me. You should be celibate or, you know, you shouldn't be eating certain foods. And, and I love the way he just kind of he just, you know, burns all of that argument down because he, he talks about in verse four, everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. He's talking about food here because he talks about, you know, abstain from certain foods. And then he backs it up. He says, listen, God is the provider of the food that we eat. Every meal that we have is from the hand of God, so we should be thankful for that. It's all good. God's blessed it. Receive it with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God, meaning God has, we know from the word of God that God is the provider of all things. And by prayer. You know, so say grace at, at the dinner table, and but receive it all with thanksgiving. It's all good. I, you know, I've confessed my, my temptation for donuts. It's a well-known fact around here. And, um, and yet, it, it's all good. I got a verse about it right here. It's all good. Um, I just pray before I eat it, and then it's all good. But, I, but my family and I were at the July 4th parade in downtown Leesburg. 
and we're standing on the sideline, you know, just watching as the parade is going by. We weren't in the parade, we're just watching it. And as we're getting ready for the parade to come by, this, this boy, I don't know, maybe he was uh, 10, come, just comes out of nowhere with uh, an open box of Dunkin' Donuts and says, hello, would you like a donut? Says to me. <laughs> now, no one else around me, just to me. And I, and I said, well, how much, are you, how much are you selling them for? He said, oh, no, we're, we're not selling them. We just want to offer you one. And then over his shoulder across the street was a family from our church, and they're just waving, like, hey. <laughs> Hey, Pastor G, like we know. But, you know, listen, it's all good. Because the fact is, isn't, it, isn't nutrition complicated these days? I mean, it's so complicated. It's like, it's like don't, don't, eat, don't, don't drink cow's milk because you're not a calf. And only, only little cows drink cow's milk. So don't drink cow's milk. But then somebody else says, no, drink cow's milk. You need vitamin D. So drink cow's milk, you know. But, but others are like, don't, don't drink it. And so you don't know what to believe anymore. It's, it's terrible. It's nonsense. It's like, it's like, listen, don't, you know, don't uh, avoid certain foods. They're not good for you. Don't eat meat. Don't eat meat. Carcinogens, don't eat meat. Eat white meat, but don't eat red meat. Unless you have an iron deficiency, then eat red meat. Then red meat's good for you. And if you're going to eat the white meat, if you're going to eat chicken, make sure it's free range. Make sure no hormones, no antibiotics. Make sure you're doing this right. By the way, avoid certain fruits. Blackberries, strawberries, they have a protein called lectins. You don't want lectins. They make people fat. Don't eat, don't eat lectins. But by the way, you need bioflavonoids because you don't normally get that in your diet. So eat blackberries and strawberries because they have bioflavonoids. Now listen, wait, I'm not done. Be careful. Polyunsaturated fats. Now, polyunsaturated is better than saturated, but saturated fats are not good for you. But butter's a saturated fat, but it's better than margarine. So go ahead and eat butter. Listen, you can mess with your head with that, or you can just say grace. Just say grace. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's all consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Bless this cholesterol I'm about to eat, Lord. You know, he'll take it away. It's all good. It's so messed up. All right, let's keep going. I'm just trying to fulfill the next verse. Look at verse 6. For if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ Jesus. Brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Then he adds here in verse 7, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. You know, just weird stuff that circulates, the church in particular. Rather, train yourself to be godly. And let's park it there at verse 7 for just a moment. The word train in your Bibles here uses a Greek word, gymnazo. That's where we get our English word gymnasium. And he's going to talk here about training yourself to be godly. And in verse 8, he adds, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So the next word I want you to notice is in verse 8, and it's the word godliness. Uh, It's from an old English word, godlikeness, and the original Greek language is the word eusebia from two words in the Greek. The, The prefix is eu, meaning well, you know, when you, when you have like a eulogy at a funeral, it's from two Greek words, eulogio, meaning to speak well of someone. That's what you do at a funeral, a eulogy. So in this case, eusebia is from two words, you meaning well, and sebomei meaning devout worship or reverence. 
Real godliness is having a reverence for God that is reflected in your life well. That's what it is. And Paul says here, listen, physical training, gymnasio, gymnasium, is of some value, but spiritual training for godliness is of greater value because spiritual training for godliness benefits both this life and the life to come. Physical training is only valuable in part because it only is good for this life. Now, he's writing in a time when the Isthmus Games were really popular and the Olympics were coming onto the world scene. And, you know, Paul writes in language where there's no doubt about it because he talks about running the race with perseverance, getting the crown that you compete, you know. And so there's no question in my mind if Paul were here today, he'd be watching ESPN and be be rooting for the Redskins. There's just no question about it because he was a godly man. But but he uses a lot of, of athletic illustrations and this is one of them. I mean, either he was athletic or just had an interest in, in uh, sports, but, but he's certainly using this kind of sports analogy here about training yourself uh, because he's probably thinking of either the Isthmus Games or the Olympic Games. And, and people who train themselves go into strict training. Um, now listen, we're living in a day when you know, people hit the gym and they have gym memberships and, and they work hard at keeping their body fit. And there's nothing wrong with that, although Paul reminds us it only has a benefit in this lifetime. But here's my challenge to all of us. As much as, you know, there's a particularly in this day and age, this craze about getting in the gym and working out. And again, you know, fine, take care of yourself. But the reality is this. Ask yourself, do you spend more time in physical training or in spiritual training? I mean, you know, a lot of people, I, now I'm one of these guys where, you know, you don't really see me in the gym. I mean, I'm, I'm a guy who prefers to get my exercise either in the yard and, and like I'm pulling out root stumps on Monday and I was totally exhausted at the end of the day or playing, you know, football or volleyball with my kids or doing, you know, something active. I'm not one. And another reason I don't honestly prefer to go to the gym is because it turns into counseling sessions with all of you people and I don't really care to do that. <laughs> Hey, Pastor G, uh, can you just tell me, like, you know, listen, I've been going through a hard time in my life. Can you, where's that scripture verse on, okay, whatever. Um, but, <laughs> but my challenge is, and here's my question, you know, how many people spend an hour in the gym a day, but they won't spend a minute reading their Bibles? And physical training is of some benefit. But how much more important is our spiritual training for godliness? And how many people typically, as Christians, will spend more time in the gym than they do with their Bibles and with the Lord? You know, Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was crucified, he was there with his disciples, and he, he turned to them, and he found them sleeping, and he said, could you not tarry one hour? I've always been challenged by that because Jesus made it seem that an hour is a minimum. Like, could you not even, couldn't you just tarry one hour? Couldn't you just wait and pray with me one hour? So the question becomes for all of us, what are we doing to train ourselves for godliness? For, again, verse 8, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The word godliness is a key word that 
Paul likes here in this letter, he uses it eight times. Eight times. And it is found nowhere in the New Testament until you get to this letter. Now, Peter will mention it in his epistle, but up until this point, you don't see the word godliness in the New Testament until Paul starts to use that word eight times here in 1 Timothy. And it's important for us to examine our lives and to think, what are we doing to just really build ourselves up in our faith? How are we strengthening our spiritual muscles, so to speak? What are we doing to invest in our spiritual lives? Are we taking time in prayer? Are we, are we reading our Bibles? Are we, you know, and you guys are here at church, and so, you know, that's, a, that's another way that you are just helping to train yourself. So, that, so I commend you for that. But obviously, this shouldn't be the only thing. There are different ways, and, you know, and now with technology, you can be listening to podcasts, and, and, and I, I just, for example, you know, one of my favorites, I just love listening to Alistair Begg, and uh, we had him here about three years ago, and I keep trying to get him back, and he's just so busy, but uh, that man with a Scottish brogue could be preaching heresy, and I wouldn't even know it, because I just love the Scottish brogue, and I just, he doesn't preach heresy, but anyway. Just, but my point is, you have the opportunity to listen to podcasts. You can be, you know, reading, you know, I mean, filter it, make sure they're good Christian books. But, but you have the opportunity to just grow in your faith and and uh, to exercise your spiritual uh, muscles and to um, strengthen yourself spiritually. Invest in training yourself for godliness. Verse nine. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, I love that reminder, he's not a dead God, he's a living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially, and especially of those who believe. Now, that sentence seems a little awkward, he's not preaching universalism here. You know, well, God, Jesus is a Savior of all men, and everybody's going to get saved, that's universalism, that's a false doctrine. He's not saying that everybody's going to get saved when he distinguishes here by saying who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. He's basically saying that what God intended for all people is actually given to those who receive and believe. That's all he means there. This is not, this is not universalism. He just, you know, God intends for all to be saved. That's his heart. The Bible says he wishes none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Jesus died for all that all might be saved. But the truth is that not all will be saved because not all will receive and believe. And so he's saying here what God intended for all, Jesus died for all, will only actually be given to those who receive it by faith because they believe. And then he says in verse 14, or verse uh, 11, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you were young. And I love that because, you know, youth is relative, friends. Timothy's 30 here. So Paul's saying, you know, you're young, but you know, don't let anyone look down on you because you're 30. So it's all relative. But set an example, notice, for the believers in five things, in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. You know, some of your translations use a couple of different words. I think ESV or New King James uses the word conduct instead of life. But he's basically tackling these five areas, what you say, that's your speech, how you conduct yourselves, how you live out your life, that's, that's number two, that's life. The third word, love, is the word agape in the Greek in this text here. It's just being an example of Christ's love for others to see. 
Faith, by, by faith he means faithfulness. Let other people see your faithfulness to Christ. And then in the area of moral purity. You know, there's nothing worse than you know, a, a Christian who compromises. What kind of an example is that? Uh, you know, in, moral, in, in, in regards to morality, what kind of an example is that for people who are looking at your lives? And I love a quote by Francis of Assisi. I'll put up on the screen for you. He said, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. That's just a great quote. It's a great reminder to us that, you know, our lives are constantly on display. And so preach the gospel, let people know about Jesus, but they should be able to also get a glimpse of Jesus just by the way you live. So preach the gospel and then also use words if necessary. A good reminder to us. Set an example. You're never too young and never too old to be used by the Lord and to be an example for the Lord. You know, if you're here now, again, Timothy was 30, but, you know, I've seen children set an example for their parents. Some of you maybe came to faith or at least started coming to church because your kids wanted to come and then you found Christ because you started coming here and hearing the gospel. So kids can be a great example. Teenagers can be a great example. You know, young adults, listen, don't, don't look at yourself and think, well, I'm too young. Set an example. You're not too young. Set an example and be used by the Lord as an example of his relationship in your life in regards to speech, life, love, faith, and purity. And he says in verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. So I've added this as number five on our list as we're keeping track of things that should define the church, teaching the Bible. Now, number one was sound doctrine, and how is this different? Because sound doctrine is not just, you know, what you believe, but teaching the Bible is part of what the church should be doing every time we gather, which is why we put a lot of emphasis on doing what I'm just doing right now. You know, we're, we're, we're spending about 45 minutes on a Wednesday night, and we're teaching and we're going through the Bible together. And he uses two words here. He's just preaching and teaching. Those are two different words. It just basically means the preaching part means exhortation and the teaching part means instruction. There's sometimes when going through the course of God's word, uh, it exhorts and other times it, it informs and it instructs. You know, sometimes it challenges and sometimes it's, it's information that we grow and learn. So that's why he uses these two different words. And then he adds here in verse 14, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Now, it's difficult to know whether your gift is a reference to the gift of the Holy Spirit in general. And, uh, you know, sometimes you see in, in Scripture how the gift of the Holy Spirit was given by the laying on of hands, but not always. You know, in Acts chapter 10, as Peter is preaching at the household of Cornelius, Cornelius believed and his family with him. They believed, they received by faith, and then they also received the Holy Spirit and in Acts chapter 10, that example, they, they spoke in, in tongues, but nobody laid hands on them. So is, is this a general, don't neglect the gift of the Holy Spirit, you know, don't fan that. Go ahead and remember, Timothy, fan that, that, that flame and, and get, get that uh, um, gift accelerating that you received at the laying on of your hands. Or is he speaking about a specific gift? Like maybe, maybe Timothy had the gift of leadership and he's, he's kind of shrinking back because he is timid. There's some times here that Paul addresses that. Maybe he had the gift of teaching and he's neglected that. Whatever it is, if it's a specific gift or if it is in general the gift of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, don't neglect your gift. 
The elders laid their hands on you when they basically ordained you and commissioned you into ministry. And then he finishes this chapter by saying, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly, not half-hearted, wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the book of 1 Timothy. If you're interested in hearing this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. This is a great way to keep up with Pastor Gary's studies and to have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once there, simply look under the Teachings tab. You can also learn more about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We trust you've been encouraged by today's teaching from the book of 1 Timothy, and we encourage you to read over today's message on your own, and then make plans to join Pastor Gary again for more from this New Testament letter, right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.